Acts 15. We're back in the book of Acts, only for like three weeks, and then we're, we're on to another book, because Philippians is coming up next. So we'll go from Acts. We'll, do, we'll cover all of 15 today. We'll do Acts chapter 16 in two weeks. We'll split that one up. Then once we're done with Acts chapter 16, we're going to talk about the book of Philippians, because that's Philippi. That's Acts chapter 16. It's a beautiful story. And then we'll be back in Acts. And then we'll be out of Acts, because then we'll be in First uh, and Second Thessalonians, where we knock out all those two little books together. Then we'll be back in Acts. Then we'll be out of Acts, back and in, into Ephesians. Slow down, I know, right? What are you doing? I've, we're getting a nice bird's eye view of the New Testament. You, you, you can be thankful that I'm not including all the letters because we would be doing this for years if we were going through First and Second Corinthians and. Romans, you know, all that stuff. So we're just going to knock out some of the smaller ones, but it helps us to frame it out, especially you'll see it today with, um, we just went through Galatians. Galatians comes up in chapter 15 of, of the book of Acts, okay? So let's look at this. Verse one, um, today I'm in, I'm in, uh, I'm using my old faithful, my, uh, I call it my tattooed Bible. Uh, it's got stickers all over it because um, I love stickers and I like putting them on my Bibles. Um, New King James is what this is. ESV is what that is? Is that right? Um, it'll be ESV or... or ESV. Yeah, ESV. Okay, so it's pretty similar. Verse 1, chapter 15. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised, uh, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved, right? So this seems like it just picks right up, okay? So you go into chapter 14, and it says, when, you know, Paul and uh, Barnabas and their missionary team, they made it back. They just went through the region of Galatia, they planting churches, and they were, you know, establishing that, and they were enduring uh, persecution and suffering and all that good stuff, and they made it back to Antioch. And once they made, once they made it back to Antioch, um, trouble happened. Trouble happened. In the hometown, trouble happens. Um, these certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, that's what the book of Galatians was dealing with. That's what we just spent, you know, five chapters going through the fact that you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. You don't, it's not necessary. But do you see how this, how this all plays out? When Paul and Barnabas showed back up to Antioch, they were immediately confronted with these religious guys saying, no, 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 you're not telling the full story. And in fact, Paul would say, no, 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 you're the, wrong, you're the one who has the story wrong. Jesus is more than enough. And anytime you add anything to uh, salvation, it is no longer a gift. It's no longer a gift. You've taken away the gift aspect of salvation when you add things to it. But these guys show up and they're like, listen, unless you're circumcised, it doesn't count. You can't be saved. Verse 2, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small uh, dissension... And dispute with them, this, this blew up into a big deal. Uh, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Now we know from Galatians chapter 2, <clears throat> the apostle Paul says, it was through revelation that I, that I knew that I was supposed to go to Jerusalem and to deal with this issue. So is it the church saying, hey, Paul, you and Barnabas need to go to Jerusalem? Or is it the Lord's? It's both. The Lord telling it to the Apostle Paul and the Lord speaking to the church. And then Paul's like, I think I need to go to Jerusalem. And the church is like, yeah, we think you need to go to Jerusalem too. We're hearing that from the Lord as well. So there's confirmation. It's just confirmation. 
And Paul is obedient to that, so he and Barnabas, they're going to make their way, it says, up to Jerusalem. Now, if you know your geography, you know that Antioch is north, northwest of Jerusalem. But anytime you go to Jerusalem, I don't care where you're coming from, you're always going up to Jerusalem. Always going up to Jerusalem, okay? So he goes on. As they're laying this out, they think it's wise. We need to bring other people in. And it, it's not that the church of Jerusalem has ultimate say and we have to, no, no, it's not about that at all. It's about presenting this, this issue to a collection of counselors because there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. So they're going to bring it before all the, you know, all the apostles. They're going to bring it before everybody and say, all right, we need to once and for all have a position on circumcision. What does the church say about this? So they're smart. They're smart in, in understanding that they could establish something on their own. But they're going to include, they're going to go and see Peter. They're going to see James. They're going to see these other guys. And they're going to say, okay, let's all talk about this and let's figure out, what, what do we do? They know the right, all these guys know the right answers. But you have other indiv individuals, these religious guys, who are saying they're causing trouble. We know that. from They were leading people astray in Galatia. So we've got to squash this, and it's better to get, you know, like-minded individuals together and say, okay, how do we solve this problem? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing, it's, in fact, it's the smartest way to handle anything, especially on a wide-scale um, issue such as salvation, as, as, as an impactful uh, situation as salvation is. So they go, they go, they're going to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 3, it says, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. So this is amazing. As they're working their way up to Jerusalem, they're making little pit stops, right? A little road trip. You know, you're pulling off on the side of the road in Phoenicia and then Samaria, which just the fact that, you know, they're, able, they're stopping, they're going through Samaria. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal because, you know, good Jews would avoid Samaria at all costs, until the gospel showed up in Samaria, and the gospel showed up, probably more importantly, in the hearts of those good Jews, and changed the way that they saw people. As we remember, Jesus didn't mind going to Samaria. He didn't mind hanging out at a well with a woman of Samaria. He didn't mind talking to this lady, even though culturally it was not okay. Jesus was like, I don't care about your culture. Um, I'm here on a mission, and I'll talk to whoever I want to talk to. And that's what he did. And his disciples are like, oh, I don't know if we're supposed to be here. This, doesn't, this isn't right. We weren't raised this way. And Jesus is like, well, you were raised wrong. You were raised wrong. You are supposed to be here. You are supposed to talk to them. You are supposed to hang out with them. You're supposed to go to them. That's what that means. Go to all the nations, right? So that Samaria is here. And here's the Apostle Paul. Here's Barnabas. These guys are, they're not going around Samaria. They're going straight through Samaria. And they're stopping there. They're staying there. And they're encouraging the brethren there by recounting all the things that they've been witnessing through their first missionary journey. That lives are being changed. Lives are being transformed. And it caused great joy to all the brethren. That should always be the response from the church. When somebody shows up and says, hey, I went to Africa. And people were getting saved. The church should be stirred up into great joy over that. Why'd you go to Africa? Man, I don't like Africa. I'd never go to Africa, right? Like, no, 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 no. Do away with all those thoughts. 
people are getting saved. The numbers have increased <clears throat> on the heavenly roll sheet, so to speak. Sweet, let's celebrate. We should praise God for that. That's what Paul is doing. They're, they're going through and they're saying, hey, can we tell you about what the Lord doing, was doing in Galatia? Can we tell you these stories? Yeah, they almost beat me to death, but I survived. I survived. I made it. I got back up, went back into that same town um, because we're on a mission. And, and the, the body was encouraged. The body was strengthened. There, there was great joy amongst the brethren. Verse 4, and when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all the things that God had done uh, with them. But some of the, the sect of the Pharisees who believed, okay, so these are Pharisees who have believed, but they're still kind of caught up in this the law thing, okay? They rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So these are these guys that are still holding on to the old way. They're still holding on to the law. <clears throat> But they're causing problems within the church because what they believe and what they think is actually contrary to the gospel. It's contrary. It, it goes against the gospel message of, <clears throat> listen, whoever may, whosoever, you know, it, it's that whosoever. Like, you want to get saved? You want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? There is nothing standing in your way. It's place your faith and your trust in him, boom, that's all you got to do. Now, from that po point on, do you need to, you know, hold fast to the law of Moses? No. No, because Jesus fulfilled the law, and he established the law. Love the Lord your God. And with every bit of your being, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Well, that sums up the entirety of the law. Just work on those two. I would say work on number one. Joe and I were just talking about this, but work on number one. Number two, the second one, loving your neighbor, is a whole lot easier when you're loving the Lord your God. And we talk about this a lot, but it's got to be vertical before it can ever be horizontal. Because you can try this with all your might and all your strength and all that stuff. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get frustrated. Um, you might be prone to want to give up. Why? Because when you're trying to love horizontally, it's not always received. It's not always welcomed. It's not, and it's not up to you on who, you know, you can present, a, you know, a, the, night, the right kind of personality and, and the right words and all this stuff, and you're giving people stuff, and, you know, they, they should respond in like, right? They should, they should love you back, but they're not always going to do that. And when you're doing this out of your own strength and there's none of this, this horizontal will stop. It'll stop because you get too frustrated. I've had encounters with people where I've gone and displayed an act of love to them. And sometimes it's received and then sometimes it's thrown right back at me. And if I'm not good here, then you know what I say? Because I'm, I'm one of those types of people like, look, I'll... I'll shake you off. Like, I don't care. Like, I'll move about my business and I'll never think about you again. Like, I'm just one of those personalities. Like, I just like, oh, fine, whatever. Pfft, I'm gone. I'm gone. You know? Um, that doesn't always work out well. Um, it's not the right way to be about things, especially when you've been married um, and you are married. <laughs> it's like, can't do that in your house. Um, I'm like, oh, this is what I've always done. Um, 
if it's not reciprocated, if it's not, if, if it's not received the way that you think it ought to be received, you're going to give up. You're just going to give up. But if this is good between you and the Lord, this becomes natural. This, well, actually, I would say it's supernatural because without this, this isn't where it needs to be. Um, but the overflow of your relationship with the Lord, the vertical, you and him, the, the devotion time that you have with the Lord, the time in his word, the time praying to him, um, all that stuff, the time worshiping him, it overflows this way. And then you can display an act of love towards somebody and they could just spit in your face and what? I'm good. I'm all, I'm all right. Because this is good. And because actually he told me he told all of us, sometimes this isn't going to be received because of this. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to keep using hand gestures or anything like that, but your vertical, the relationship with the Lord Jesus is what gives you the strength to continue on, even if it's not received on, by other individuals. And the Lord said, in this world, you will have, you're, you're going to have troubles, you're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations. The world's going to hate you. Why? Because it hated me. But when you keep this strong, and then you keep demonstrating and living out love towards other people, regardless of how they receive it, okay? So here's Paul and the elders, and they're dealing with the, the Pharisees that are saying, like, no, listen, if, if you're not circumcised, you're not in. And in fact, if you don't keep the law of Moses, man, you know, what, what are you doing? You, you missed it. That's not the gospel, Verse 6, the, the apostles and elders, they came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, lots of talking about this, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, that's the key, he knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. You see that division that was once there? God knocked that thing down. Because God sent Peter to this man named Cornelius' house. We've already gone through this story. Or, you know, he's there. Well, he's at with the tanner first. And then this guy Cornelius beckons for him. He goes and they, his whole family gets saved and the Holy Spirit falls on these guys. This is, these are Gentiles. This is earth-shaking, breaking news kind of stuff. And Peter's like, hey, you guys remember? It really wasn't that long ago, but he's like, do you remember when God had me go to that Gentile's house and how they got saved and the Holy Spirit fell on them? Just like what? Just like Acts chapter 2, when he did it for us in the upper room. There's no difference. There's no difference. So why are we making differences? There's no difference in how God sees it. He's like, no, yeah, they're Gentiles. You guys are Jews. Boom, guess what? You're getting saved the same way. The same way. There's no distinctions. It says, verse 9, and made no distinctions between us and them. Because there is no more us and them in the world of Christianity. In the sense of believers. It's brothers and sisters. That's how it is. Purifying their hearts by faith. By faith, through grace, right? Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? He's like, why are you placing this burden on these guys? Tell me, how did you do with that burden? 
failed miserably, didn't you? Yeah. So you expect these guys to carry it when our fathers and our prophets, nobody was able to carry this thing. There was only one. His name was Jesus, and he bore it so that we we wouldn't have to. We talked about this last week. You do have a burden. You do have your load. Remember that. Jesus says, hey, you know, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my burden upon you, for my burden is easy. It's light. You do have a burden, but it's the one that Jesus has given you, so it's perfectly suited for you. Carry your pack, right? We talked about that. I think that was last week. Carry your pack. Answer the call that he has for you on your life. Get out there. Represent, the, represent Jesus. Like, serve him. That's your pack. But you can't place burdens on other people, and that's what Paul's saying here, or that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying it's not fair for you guys to put these demands on these guys. You can't put onto them what Jesus has taken from us. You can't do that. And if you don't catch the undertones here, I mean, it's not that, it's not that hidden. It's kind of blatant. But Peter is saying, like, I think God is in charge of salvation. I think God's in charge of this thing. So I don't know when we stepped in and decided to make all the rules, but I think, and if you just read through this, his little message again, there's a lot of uh, you know, little pronouns concerning God and how it's God who sees the heart and how it's God who gave them his Holy Spirit, how it's God who saved them. They placed their faith in him, but it's God, who's, God is the one who's done all the work. And Peter's like, so why do we think we get to step in and place a burden on these guys? doesn't make sense. So they're having this great discussion. They're all talking about, they're working through this problem. This could have torn apart the church. This, this would cause issues for sure, um, but they're working through it. They're working through it. And that's, that's the thing. If you're going to work through an issue, you have to be able to sit down and talk about the issue, okay? Even if you're dealing with Pharisees who are like, no, it's either this way or it's no way. Fine, you can say that, but you got to be able, willing to sit down and talk, and there's got to be some back and forth, because if there's no back and forth, there's no solution. Hey, America, if there's no sitting down and having a good, healthy back and forth, there's no solution. There's just frustration. That's how it works. In all my years on this planet, 41, I think, if that's how old I am, I don't know. My wife's not here, so I don't know. Um, that's what I've learned is if, we're not will, if you're not able to talk to each other, hey, churches, if you're not willing to talk to each other within the church, guess what? Frustration. Guess what? Splits. That's how it works. But if you could just sit down and say, all right, let's, talk, let's throw it out there. Throw it out there. No feelings attached. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Throw it out there. Let's talk about it. These guys are willing to talk about it. They're going to they're work through this. It goes on to say, now, therefore, Paul, or Peter's saying, why do you test God? There's only one way you can test God. Biblically, there's only one way he allows you and has given you permission to test him. Only one. I could have talked about this last week, but I forgot, right? It's in giving. It's in giving. Malachi, he talks about, he's like, look, you want to test me? All right, test me. See if you can outgive me. See if you can outgive me. You're like, oh, that seems like such a churchy verse, right? Like those pastors who use that. No, no, no. If you don't get that verse, then you're missing out, 
okay? Because this isn't like a plea from a church, and I'm a pastor, I get it. But like to, hey, you got to give more, because if you give more, then God will open up the windows and the floodgates will open up. I'm not talking, no, in your life personally with Jesus, he says, hey, test me on this. That's up to you as an individual. Test him on it. I can tell you from personal experience, there are times when I did not test him on that because I didn't trust him, right? Even as a believer, I, didn't, I wasn't giving like I should have been because I didn't trust him. Full, full honesty. As a pastor, okay, because I was like, oh, Lord, I don't know. You're not looking at my finances like I am. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess you just don't get it. No, I don't. I don't. And the real issue is I don't trust you. I don't trust you, right? So there's repentance and all that good stuff. That's the thing to where the Lord's like, look, see, try me. Try me in that one area. And that's not an area dealing with the issue of doubt or anything like that. That's just like, that's just understanding and, and faith in the Lord. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive him. And if, if you're giving, and I've had mentors in my life, they've, they've expressed the same thing repeatedly. You know, they're like, look, I, I give, I give generously. And, and it's not, it's not a, about anything other than it's an act of worship towards God. And they're like, I've never had need for anything. The Lord just shows up in just weird ways. So if you're going to test them, test them on that. Don't test them in this area of concerning salvation, okay? Why, why do you test God? Why do you put God to the test? By putting a yoke uh, on the neck of, these, of the disciples and their believers, which our fathers nor us were able to bear. Verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall all be saved in the same manner as them. <laughs> what a word. What a word from these, these groups who are primarily Jewish who are meeting together discussing Gentiles getting saved. And Peter's like, man, he's like, here's the, here's the deal, guys. Um, you know, I, I, we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of God, uh, of the Lord, grace of the Lord Jesus, just like them. Not we believe that they will be saved just like us, but we will be saved just like them. That's Peter placing priority on, on the Gentiles, so to speak. Not saying that they're more important, but he's putting them on the same level. And they would have gotten that by his verbiage there, by the way that he constructed that sentence. They would understand that he's saying like, oh, so we are basically one and the same with these Gentiles. Yeah, yeah, you are. Because in Christ, you're a new creation. There's no more Jew. There's no more Greek. There's no more, there's none of that stuff. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. It's who you are. Verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many, how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Uh, Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, this is found in Amos, uh, after this, I will return and will re rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things, right? So the Old Testament has always been thrown out there like Gentiles are going to be a part, of the, uh, a, a part of the equation, so to speak. There's always been a place for 
the Gentiles. There's always, the Gentiles have always been part of the plan, even back in Genesis chapter 12, I believe it was, with Abraham. So James just stands up and he's like, listen, guys, the word already, has already told us this. He's already told us this, that the Gentiles were always going to be a part of the plan. And, and we don't need to put any burden on them. Verse 18, he goes on to say, Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them. Here's the thing. There are some guidelines. There are some things. Now, this is for the benefit, and this is an understanding from James and the leadership that these are things that these guys are surrounded by in their everyday lives, and they should stay away from these things. That's what he's saying. He's like, but look, here's the thing. <clears throat> we write to them, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> allergies. Love them, right? It's allergies. It's nothing else, I promise. Let me take a drink of my Topo Chico. They don't sponsor this service, so it's cool. Um, <clears throat> man, uh, I love springtime. Actually, I don't because um, nature is trying to kill me every year uh, around springtime. So, um, back, clear throat. James continues on. He's saying, um, let me find a place here. Here's the list of things that they need to abstain from, okay? From things polluted by idols, right? So that's like uh, things that are like offered up to idols. Now, I'll, I can break these, down, these things down, but essentially Paul included somewhat of this list into his letter to the Church of Galatia to a certain extent. Things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So he's like, all right, look, we're not going to, you don't have to get circumcised. But there are some things you just practically, you need to keep yourself free from. And, and this is, these are things that, again, on a daily basis, they were encountering, Okay. So whether it's uh, things being polluted by idols or things being offered up to idols. So if you went into a restaurant uh, or you're going over to so-and-so's house and you know like they're, the way that they're going to prepare the meat, so to speak, it's all they're going to sacrifice to, the, to their God first and all this stuff. And what he's saying is like, look, um, number one, you shouldn't be doing that, okay? Number one, don't do that. You don't need to do that anymore. If that's what's your practice, you don't need to do that anymore. Um, the other thing is this, though. Here's the other side of this, and Paul would talk about this in, in the book of Romans. Um, you could show up to somebody's house, and you don't know how they prepared the meat or who they offered the meat to. You may be ignorant to that. And what would Paul say? Just eat it. Just eat it. You don't have to ask questions and be like, um, before I take a bite of this, um, did you sacrifice this to some foreign god that I don't... Just Paul would be like, look, just eat the meat, okay? Just eat the meat. But there are some practices, some things that... Some, not all Gentiles, but some of the Gentiles were known for. Um, and, and, and James, through the, through the church, is saying, listen, stay away from this stuff. It, you, you don't need to live this way anymore. You shouldn't live this way anymore, okay? Because, well, number one, some of this stuff, well, almost all of this stuff is really can be impactful on your health, okay? But you're different, and you don't, you don't have to live like your community around you. If your community around you says, but no, we feel as though this is okay. But if that goes contrary to what the gospel says, then it's not okay. It's not. So abstain from it. 
That's, that's all they're saying. They're, they're like, we're not going to put any burdens on you. You don't have to get circumcised. You don't do any of that stuff. But there are some things that you, you, some changes in your life you just need to make. Yeah, thunder. It's okay. Um, for those who are watching, welcome to Galveston. Uh, storms just roll in. Uh, all right. So they wrote this letter. I'm sorry, verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men from their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who is also named uh, Barsabbas, um, probably a good, good call to go away from that first name, Judas, uh, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So these are out, outstanding men within the church, and they're going to send them back with Paul and Barnabas to deliver this letter, okay? So they wrote this letter by them. Now here, basically, this, is gonna, this letter is um, essentially what is... Uh, what we just talked about. All right, so it says, they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are the, who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and uh, Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of you went, went out, uh, some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised to keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. They're like, they may have represented themselves as coming from us, but we didn't tell them to say this, okay? That's basically what they're saying. They don't have the authority from us. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you who, uh, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Right? That's their letter. Sincerely, the church. So there's the letter to the Gentiles saying, listen, we place no, no burden on you. We place no burden on you. However, we do expect... That if you are walking with Jesus and that you are following the Lord Jesus, that there is a life change in your life. There's a difference. There should be a difference. And that's called accountability. Okay? We're not going to make you follow, you know, uphold the, the law of Moses and get circumcised and do all these other things. But we are going to ask that you change the way you live your life to a certain extent. Only in areas that are contrary to the gospel. Verse 30. So when they sent off, or when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. That's a beautiful thing. So here, this letter from all these leaders from the church with the solution to this problem, and it causes the church to rejoice. And to celebrate. That's a beautiful thing. That's a, that's a good way to receive even sometimes something that's difficult to receive. If it comes from the Lord, well, you could still, even though you may not like it, you can still celebrate it. Why? Because he loves you. And what you have with this beautiful, amazing book and, it, and in some places where you may not like it or you may not agree with it, but you can never deny the fact that there is just love oozing from this book from the one who authored it. 
for your life. So I can come to this thing and I could be like, oh man, I just don't really like that part that much. It doesn't matter. I can't deny the love of God. And I'm going to read it and I'm going to take it and I'm be like, you know what? Lord, I know that you're, you're, you're saying these things because you care about me, because you love me. And at times, and we know this, we just went through Galatians, the flesh within us is going to be at war within us. But even if your flesh is at war with what the Word of God has to say, you cannot deny the fact that He loves you so much that He has recorded it and written it down and preserved it so that you can have it, you can hear it, and you can apply it. Because He loves you. Because He loves you. So there's rejoicing over it. It's, it's encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the, brother, the brethren with many words. There you go, pastors who talk a lot. That's why we're like, what is this? Oh, it's not a new thing. No, it was happening back then too, okay? So pastors have always talked a lot, okay? Lots of words, all right? Many words, okay? Verse 33, and after they stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the, to the apostles. However, so you got some good news. Things are, things are going good. Things are going really good. It seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And things are amazing and they're good. And then the breakup. And then the Beatles split, right? You, some of you remember that? I don't. Um, I wasn't there, but uh, I hear it was dramatic. Um, this is like, I was Google, I was doing some research on like significant breakups through history. Um, unfortunately, a lot of those were dealing with Hollywood, which I was just like, give me a break. Um, I don't care. I don't care. But like, but the Beatles are like number one, they were like one of the top ones, right? Um, which is like, okay, I understand that. But um, all throughout, I mean, breakups, breakups, and what seems like the perfect team, the dream team, they fall apart. It's not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. Um, but it's not always a good thing. It's not always a good thing either. And even in this story, it's kind of like, well, was this good or was it bad? I don't know. I think it was kind of, I don't know. It seemed like, it seemed like Paul had the right idea. That's all I'm going to say. It seemed like Paul had the right idea. Now, the key issue, John Mark, he comes into the scene later on, and Paul is grateful for him. You know, he didn't need to take him on this missionary journey. You know, I mean, maybe he had some ill feelings towards him and all that stuff, because he, he kind of, you know, he, he kind of chickened out at the beginning of the first missionary journey. He couldn't take it. But here's what happens. Verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing, right? That's a great thing. That's what they should be doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. <clears throat> That's John Mark. Uh, same individual, <clears throat> man, um, the same individual who will, this is going to be great for the recording, um, who was used to write the gospel of Mark, okay? Barnabas is determined to take with him because John Mark is part of his family, but he is determined to take with him. He's not budging. 
Now, is he right or is he wrong? I don't know. But just as determined as he was to take John Mark, Paul was equally determined to not take John Mark. And there's an explosion. There's an eruption that happens there. It says, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Like, it got, it got serious. These two who were like, man, I mean, Barnabas was like the guy who was like, right there recommending the apostle paul he's not a bad he's not the bad guy in this story he's not he's just somebody who's like okay cool yeah let's go on this mission trip how i think we should take this guy and paul's like no way i'm not taking him he didn't even last the last time he bailed on us when we needed him the most he bailed on us so we're not going with him barnabas is like no listen either he goes or i don't go and paul's like fine you can go your own way, right, Fleetwood Mac? You can go your own way, right? Have it your way. But we're gonna, I'm going to go on this trip. And there was a sharp contention between these two men. Now, does, was there any love loss in this relationship? I'm going to say probably not. They're still brothers, still brothers in the Lord. But there's times where... Man, the team breaks up. There's times when the band breaks up. That's just how it is sometimes. And sometimes it works out for others. And then sometimes you get a Yoko Ono and nothing happens, right? You're like, oh, what happened? Well, he, made, he wrote some good songs. But it's like, it didn't really work out. Sometimes the breakout, breakups, they're there. They could work out better than maybe how it plays out within our lives. And I say that because Barnabas sails off to Cyprus and out of the book of Acts, for the most part, you don't hear from him. You don't hear from him. He took Mark with them to Cyprus. It says that right there. It says, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. That's it. That's it. Should he have just gone along with Paul? Probably. Probably. He probably should have. And then maybe on the third missionary journey, bring Mark when he's proven himself. But that's not how it worked out. It's not how it worked out. Is this how God intended it? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this, in the midst of our breakups and all that stuff, the Lord can still work, and the Lord still does work. And you just, maybe things just happen differently. They took off. Barnabas took Mark and sold to Cyprus. Now, do I believe that they didn't do anything? No, I believe that they were preaching the gospel in Cyprus. But I don't know from where, you know, we don't know, we don't know that story because the story keeps following Paul. It says, but Paul chose Silas. Remember, Silas had uh, chosen to, to stay back. And maybe that was the Lord speaking to Silas, saying, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. You need to hang out here for a little bit because something's going to happen. Maybe the Lord, we don't know. Can't be dogmatic on that. We have no idea. But he was there. And Paul was like, I'm going to take you. Um, 
So he took Silas, departed, and being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That's, see, that's the unfortunate thing for a Barnabas. I love Barnabas. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. He's the great encourager. I hope, I hope. Now, we put these guys on pedestals sometimes, and they don't deserve to be on pedestals at all because they're just normal people. But I hope it wasn't because of bitterness that Barnabas chose to go to Cilicia and we hear nothing about him. Because what you miss out on is going with the Apostle Paul, even though you may not agree with it, but if you, just, if you would have went with him, then you're still part of the story and you're part of this. The church is getting strengthened and encouraged. Sometimes the Lord causes us to move in separate ways. That's how it happens. Dealt with that my entire ministerial life. Have people come and people go. I mean, that's just how the Lord works. Sometimes it's been good. Sometimes it's been really bad. It's been really bad. These things happen within, within the body of Christ. Um, and it's hard to know, like, okay, so, well, then what, what should we do? And what, what if I feel I'm right and they're wrong? Shouldn't they just follow me? But what if they're right and you're wrong? And listen, here's, here's all I know from this. We, we, we submit everything to the Lord. And you gotta be able to, you got to be able to remove personal feelings from the equation as best as possible. Because hurt feelings have caused a lot of hurt people in the body of Christ. That's just how it is. Somebody gets their feelings hurt, and then all this stuff, drama, and top of drama, and top of drama, and then there's a split, and these guys aren't coming anymore, and those guys aren't coming anymore because these guys aren't coming anymore, and then these guys aren't coming anymore because of them and them, and they have no idea why they left. They have no clue why they left, but they're just gone because, well, these guys are gone, and these guys are gone, and they just seem really upset. And it's like, hold on. Remove emotion from it just for a second. I'm not saying don't be emotional creatures. You're emotional creatures. That's how God has created you. But he's also created us to be logical creatures as well and say, hey, can we sit down and talk about this? Because we just talked about an entire chapter where the church got together to figure out a problem. And now Paul and Barnabas are like, no, we're going to do it this way. No, I don't want to do it that way. Okay, fine. They're gone. And we never hear about Barnabas. He might be mentioned one more time in the book of Acts. We know John Mark is mentioned again because he becomes beneficial to Paul. But I think because maybe they weren't willing to sit down with some brothers and say, hey, we're having this issue. We want to go on this missionary journey again. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. I don't want to take John Mark. What do you guys think we should do? We have no indication that that ever happened. I'm not saying it didn't, but I'm saying we have no indication that it ever did. It sounds like most of our interactions with each other at times. We get in these heated discussions and arguments, and then we just go our separate ways. It's like, well, wait, if we would have just sat down and bring somebody else into the mix and be like, okay, here's my problem, and here's where they're at. What do you think we should do? And for sure, we need to be praying about this. I didn't see it referenced in, in this chapter, though, in this portion of Scripture. Does that mean that Paul and Barnabas didn't pray about it? Well, we're not told that they did. We're not told that they stopped for a second and said, you know what, maybe we should pray about whether John Mark should go with us. I'm not going to assume that they didn't pray, but I'm also going to go with what I have, and there is no reference for it at all. 
And we know how this works with each other. When things get heated, sometimes the last thing we do is pray. We just blow up, and I'm out of here. It's like, well, hold on. Can we pray about this? Can we pray? It's always the smartest thing to do. That's my advice. That's my, if I have any shred of wisdom, there it is for you. Before you take off, before you bell, before you get your feelings hurt, or after you've gotten your feelings hurt, or whatever it is, that you just stop and say, you know what, I think we should just pray. I think we should pray. And let's get somebody else in here so that we can pray together to make sure it's not just you and me and me versus you or anything like that. It's not about that because let's not forget this one important point. Ephesians chapter 6, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Our enemy is not each other. Our enemy is not on this, is not outsiders. It's not non-believers either. You have one enemy. His name is Satan. And he loves nothing more than to get into these stories and try to disrupt, disrupt missionary journey number two. He loves to be in the mix of these stories. He loves to be in the mix of church splits. He loves it. He loves it when churches are wasting so much time fighting with each other because then you're not effective. Remember that Great Commission thing? Remember that call on your life to go and make disciples? You can't do that if you're fighting with other brothers and sisters. And if you're trying to do that, you are presenting the worst witness possible. Because then non-believers look in and are like, you guys don't even get along with each other. Why would I want to be a part of your group? Oh, no, 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 but Jesus is about love. He died on the cross for you, and he's forgiven your sins, and he loves you, and he welcomes you in, and you're like, yeah, but you don't welcome me in. Church fights happen. That's a reality. That's a reality. We just got to get better at dealing with them and praying through these things and working through these things and understanding that we have an enemy that is very real and he wants nothing more than to get inside of churches. The, the most faithful attender to churches is Satan himself. He's got perfect attendance when it comes to church attendance. I hope you know that. Now, it may not be this one because there's bigger churches and all that that he's probably, you know, he's a member of those churches, but he's probably got some of his minions here and want nothing more than to disrupt what God is doing. And it can happen to the best of us, to a Paul and to a Barnabas, where things get so heated, sharp, that they split ways. That they split ways. Some people would see this as a good thing. I do not. I don't. But they're like, yeah, but Barnabas went to, to you know, uh, to Cilicia or to Cyprus, I mean. And, you know, yeah. And maybe he, was maybe he was preaching the gospel there. That's sweet. That's cool. But what would have happened if he would have stuck with Paul? What would, he happen what would have happened if, they would have, if he would have said, you know what, yeah, you know what, let's wait on John Mark. Let's go do this. Because there's lots of believers around that we need to get back to these guys and strengthen them and encourage them. And what they didn't know is missionary journey number two was going to be planting of even more churches We've got to be able to sit down and say, you know what, if you're having beef with somebody in the church, to stop, sit down for a second, bring somebody else in, 
dish it all out, let it all out, but to pray about these things, to pray through these things. We have to be willing to do that because, let me, again, just to remind us, your enemy is not anybody in this room. It's not. Your enemy is the enemy, Satan. He's the one gunning for you. And just as much as he's gunning for you, he's gunning for every single person in this room. Makes no sense to be shooting arrows at each other when the enemy is doing a really good job of firing arrows at all of us. You see what I'm saying? It's just better if we're watching each other's backs. It's just better if we're working through issues. It's just better if we're taking a second to say, you know what, what does the Lord think about this? What does God want? What does he want? Let's figure that out because we just spent time with the brothers and we figured out what God wanted for the Gentiles. I think if we would have taken a second, we could have figured out what he wanted for the two of us. It's an unfortunate split. It's a division that happens. But here's, here's the thing. The mission goes on. It goes on. And you can, de you can determine what side of it you're going to be on. You can pack up your stuff and head up to Cyprus. Or you can be like, you know what? I think I'm just going to continue on because the Lord is moving in this direction. And I think I'm just going to, man, the mission's it's still moving. God's still moving. And he can move with you or without you. Because he doesn't need you. He just wants you. Which is better than being needed. He wants you. So that's what we're going to see. That's a heartbreaking split, man. That's like, it's Paul and Barnabas. And for what we know as we walk through the, the gospel, or I say the gospel of Acts, the, the book of Acts, man, they're so tight. They're, it just, the way it started was beautiful. It was awesome. And Barnabas was, you know, speaking on behalf of Paul, telling everybody Paul's testimony. And it's just amazing. And then it just, whew, splits. It's sad when that happens. It really is sad when that happens. So next week, there's a new team. There's a new team. There's a Paul and a Silas, but they need somebody else. They need, and, and the Lord puts on Paul's heart to go and get um, Timothy, who Paul would call his son in the faith. His son in the faith. My little note above chap chapter 16 of the book of Acts who is my Timothy? The question I would pose to you to think about this week, because you'll come back next week. I, I'm, I know you'll come back next week, right? Um, you're gonna, you need to think and pray about who's your Timothy? Who is the one you're investing in? Right? And we always say this, who's your Apostle Paul? Who was the one who invested in you? Hey, maybe today is a good day to reach out to them because they may not be your biological father, but for you to send a shout out to them saying, hey, happy Father's Day. I know you're not my dad, but you know what? You were influential in my walk with the Lord. So you kind of are my dad, my, my apostle Paul, so to speak. I have one of those. His name is Bill Gim in Amarillo, Texas. He's the guy who took me under his wing. He's, he was a tremendous father figure to me. He, he, stand up, he stood up here before and taught you guys. He'll, he come, he'll come down again, and he'll tell you, James is my son. And it's true. It is absolutely true. 
I'm walking with the Lord today because of that guy and his witness and his example in my life for 20-something years. Think whoever that is in your life today and then you're thinking about, be praying about, who are you investing in? Who's your Timothy? Who are you pouring into? If it's nobody, it needs to be somebody, okay? So I'm giving you time. That's your homework. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to wrap this up. It's so heavy. Like, I don't like ending them on that. You know, it's like, oh, the breakup, right? And then everybody's, you know, you walk away crying and tearing the posters of Paul and Silas off your bedroom walls and all that good stuff. Like, no, it shouldn't be like that at all. Listen, the mission goes on. It goes on. It's sad. There's heartbreak. There is heartbreak. There is. But we got to keep going. We got to keep going. We have to keep going. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for uh, just everybody here today. Um, Lord, I pray specifically for our region. I know um, it seems like our cities have been making the news lately, uh, whether it's Houston or Harris County or Galveston County, about this virus and all this stuff, Lord. Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord Jesus, that number one, you would help us not to be afraid. You would help us not to panic. Lord, you'd help us to be smart, to be wise, to be considerate of other people. But Lord, I I pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. Because I know the headlines come in and the news reports and all that stuff, and it's all meant to, maybe it seems like the intent is to educate, but man, Lord, it seems like a tool from the enemy to strike fear in the hearts of people. And so I pray against that, Lord. I pray for your your sons and daughters to be strengthened and encouraged, Lord, knowing that you are still sovereign. There is nothing that happens on this planet apart from you knowing it. And Lord, when things happen on this planet that we don't understand, I pray that you're the first one we turn to. So I pray for our nation right now that just needs to be healed. Man, Lord, whatever repenting needs to happen, may, may it happen, but Lord... I pray that our country is is ripe for revival. What we need more than anything, Jesus, is your gospel to ring out. What we need more than anything, Jesus, is you. And I pray, I pray for our country. I pray that repentance would happen. I pray revival would break out across this land. Lord, as we see the days coming to a close, and we really do believe, Jesus, that you're, you're going to be returning quickly. I, I pray, the Lord, that your church would be, would be on mission, Lord, not distracted by anything or, any, or living in fear, nothing like that, Lord, but we'd be on mission for you, sharing your gospel, this beautiful free gift of salvation, Lord, to whoever it is that you, you bring us, you bring across our path or bring us across their path, whatever, however it works out, Lord. I just pray that, Lord, that we're sharing you with people. Our world needs hope, and you are hope. So we thank you, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for raising from the grave. Lord, I thank you so much that, man, Lord, you don't need us. You want us. And when it comes to the mission, you've chosen us. Not because of anything we have to give, Lord, but because of how amazingly you work through us. So we thank you for that, Lord. We're humbled by that. And I pray for our church, this wonderful little congregation here in Galveston, I pray that you would protect us from the attacks of the enemy. I pray, Lord, that you would keep the enemy out of this place and causing divisions and all that stuff, Lord. 
And if there are any hurt feelings, Lord, that we would know how to sit down and pray with each other and bring you into the equation. We just submit all that stuff to you, Lord, because ultimately this church belongs to you, Jesus. This is yours. So we just ask that you would use us and that you would be glorified in everything that we have to offer to you. So we thank you, Lord, so much. I pray blessings on everybody here today and, and whatever their week looks like. I pray that you keep them healthy. I pray you keep them safe. Lord, I, I pray that you keep them focused on you. And Lord, may we be able to come back next week with, uh, I would pray, with at least somewhat of a list of Timothys within our own lives. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.